Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Adam Bly. Adam is a a layman in the church, uh, and he's a decreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism for the Diocese of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and has spent over 15 years working and training in the exorcism ministry and has trained priests and deacons uh, to do the same. Adam, thanks for joining us today. Sure thing, Deacon. It's nice to be here. Um, so I guess we're going to talk about your your new book that's that's come out. It's called Exorcism Files, uh, published by Sophia Institute Press. Um, but before we get into what's in the book, I guess what led you to get into uh, the spiritual realm and exorcism? What opened that door for you? Well, it's it started a, a quite a while ago now in graduate school in adult clinical psychology when I was doing brainwave research as part of a PhD program. And I had seen how the brain can produce false experiences uh, that even in a healthy, normal person, no mental illness uh, can seem completely real. So I was curious whether any of these you know, supposed strange complaints people had of these odd experiences were real or if they were just the brain. Uh, So I started looking into it and and I got pulled into this world, um, met some of the key people in the country at that time, saw some cases where, you know, it was clear it wasn't just the brain or mental illness. And so I've devoted my life to it since. Well, my guess is it's it's very rewarding, uh, especially for people who who are struggling with whatever they're hearing and, you know, make sure, geez, they, they probably feel like it's times they're crazy because of the thoughts that are generated. But it just really goes to show the power of the evil one, although not anywhere near the power of our Lord, but he does have some power and it, and it can really affect those that, that he attacks. Well, sure. And, you know, you have to remember that everything that the demons do, it's when Jesus has given them permission to do it. So if you look at the book of Job in the Bible, that's the, the most clear, you know, example um, where Satan has to go and ask permission from God for everything that he does uh, to Job. And then, of course, later we see when Jesus confronts the demons, you know, they even ask his permission to go into the pigs. So it's the same situation today. We don't need to fear them like they're in charge. Um, we need to keep, you know, our eyes focused on God. Well, and you, you know, I know there's different levels from infestation, oppression, possession, but it, it just seems like, and you would know better than I, it seems like, you know, his main attack is to tempt us. And, you know, just like you did Adam and Eve in the garden, just like you did Christ in the desert. And if he's successful in that temptation, does he go further or is he like, I already got you. I don't need to go that way. Yeah. So, you know, what's called as ordinary activity is temptation. And and that's something that God allows them to do, you know, our entire lives, um, basically, you know, almost continuously our entire lives. And the reason that's allowed is because that's what makes us grow spiritually stronger. Just like when you exercise, you need something to resist against for the body to get stronger. In the same way, you know, if you look back on your life, what are the experiences you've matured from and grown wiser from? It's usually the things where you've made mistakes and you've learned your lesson and you've become wiser. So 
in a similar way, we, we learn through our trials and we get stronger spiritually through wrestling with temptation and sin. And then hopefully we get to a point where we renounce those things and, and we're focused completely on God, or at least almost completely. And so that's his ordinary activity. And yeah, if he can get you on a state of mortal sin where you don't believe in God, you don't couldn't care less, you're just a hedonistic, you know, selfish, pleasure-seeking person exploiting others um, and violating, you know, a number of the Ten Commandments. Well, yeah, he's already won. There's no real reason to show you that he's real by doing some extraordinary thing to you because he's already won. Why would he want to risk you running into a church and seeking God when, you know, he sees, he or she sees something extraordinary. Um, so yeah, that's the ordinary activity. A lot of times he stops there because it's an easy win for a lot of people. And then the people that mess around with black magic, uh, the occult, spirit communication, Ouija boards, pendulums, divining rods, ghost hunting, even Reiki and yoga, um, all of these things of playing around with spirits, that's the stuff that can lead to demonic oppression and eventually possession when you get into serious black magic. Um, you know, but that's, that's not something that always happens. It's not like it's a guaranteed thing if you play around with that stuff that you're going to have these extraordinary demonic problems. Again, uh, some people, they're happy to just have them in a state of mortal sin. Yeah, and, you know, why go there if, if you don't have right? Why open a portal when there's none needed to be opened? And, you know, we've we've spoken to uh, Monsignor Rossetti. We've talked to Father Lampert. And both of them have said, you know, just over the last few years, they've seen an increase of people seeking them out. Are you... Are you seeing the same increase? I don't know that there's necessarily an increase in possessions, which there may be, but those that feel like they're being tempted or being infested in infestation or oppression, there there seems to be a wave of that. And I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, and if so, why? Well, it's, that's really hard to say. I think it's it's been an increase compared to, say, 15 or 20 years ago, there's yeah. been a big increase in the number of cases. I don't, I don't know about the last couple of years. Everyone I know, all the exorcists that I know, um, they've been incredibly busy the last two, three, five years. So right. it'd be really hard to say that, you know, just recently there's more. Um, but, I, you know, the, the big issue with our particular country here in the United States is we're increasingly celebrating and promoting uh, witchcraft and spirit communication, and now the, even moving towards normalizing Satanism and accept, you know, not, I think that's a hard sell, and it's not going to really go very far, because it, it's a pretty big um, mental gymnastics to, to kind of say that Satan's a good guy, but because we're celebrating you know, forms of black magic and ghost hunting, we're seeing a lot more cases because of that. Well, and I, you know, I watch and, and you know, people can go on uh, YouTube. You have a lot of videos on there. You've talked a lot about this topic. But, you know, one of the videos that you were mentioned in the Ten Commandments uh, a minute ago, you talk about how really breaking that first commandment and, and not putting God first really can lead us vulnerable to to the evil one and, and, and kind of put us in a position where 
you know, we could be subject to something greater than just uh, the temptation. Yeah, I mean, just about all of the extraordinary demonic cases, oppression and possession cases, seem to have a, a First Commandment violation at their core. And it is a great reminder, you know, for us that, you know, to grow in our faith, grow close to Christ. And you mentioned in the beginning, right, we don't need to be afraid of what's going on, but to ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist and, and live in our own world and put ourselves first, it, it really is to our own detriment. And I mean, you probably see it all the time in the, in the cases that you see in the, in the, in the field that you work that, uh, you know, this selfishness and this ability just to make ourselves our own God, just, you know, we see the world in which we live and you probably just stand back and shake your head. Well, no, I mean, you know, I understand it. it it's the same temptation as the Garden of Eden, right? So the devil yeah. said, oh, you can, you, can, you can be like God, you can have magical powers. And that's attractive to people. You know, in our human nature, it's attractive the idea that my will can be, you know, pushed onto the world. I can make other people do what I want, or I can get the million bucks, or, you know, get the girl, or get the flashy car. All of these things, you know, those temptations, they're attractive, but what you're bargaining with, it's kind of like making a deal with the mob, you know, to get your money. You're going to go to, the, you know, a mob loan shark and get your million bucks, but now you're, you're in deep to them and you're in incredible danger. And it's the same thing. You're cutting a deal with evil spirits. And by the way, in the end, you never get what you bargained for. They always pull the rug out when you seem to be at your best and then tear everything down. We've seen that over and over. So, you know, it, it's understandable, and that's why it was the first temptation in the garden, which is you can have magical powers, you can be like God, and it's still, the, that is the, the root of the new age, is, you know, things like the secret, or, you know, you can divine the universe through astrology, or you can, you know, use this or that technique, and you can be healed, and you can do this, and you'll have your will. Uh, all these things are about you know, your will being first, getting what you want, and at the, you know, at the expense of other people, of course. Um, you know, being in the field that you're in and, and, you know, working in the spiritual realm, have you been personally attacked by demons because you're doing what you're doing or, or no? Well, I don't, I mean, I go to exorcisms every week, so Right. You know, they try to choke, choke me or break my bones or tackle me to the floor. You know, they're in a human body, so they can physically punch you and attack you. So right. sure. Um, and I've, you know, I've had, you know, I had a person who was involved in Satanism try to lure me into a situation where I'd be harmed. I've had demons, you know, express, expressly threaten me in innumerable times. You know, if I had a dime for every time they threatened to kill me, um, I'd have a nice stack of dimes at this point. Um, and of course, none of that bothers me because God's in charge. So they can talk all they want. But, but I mean, yeah, sure. That kind of goes without saying it doesn't really bother me. Um, cause I'm, you know, they know I don't care anymore. And so they tend to not do that much. Um, you know, one thing you, you do talk about, uh, witchcraft and Wicca in the book, how, how prominent, is that today in our society, you know, it's not uncommon that I see, you know, Hollywood kind of glorify that. And, you know, you read different stories on social media. How, 
has that been growing over time or what, what's your assessment of that? Well, I don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of time trying to research that and figure it out. Um, Wicca is now one of the official religions that you can check off at the U.S. Census when you when you fill out your census information. Um, anecdotally, you know, have seen many many young people that are in some version of Wicca. And of course, there's various versions of it, and it's a bit of a long story about how it came into being. Kind of the bottom line is. Um, basically a dirty old man in England named Gerald Gardner back in the 60s and 70s um, cobbled together Freemasonry, Aleister Crowley's witchcraft and his own homegrown stuff and claimed it was an ancient pre-Christian religion based on this lady Margaret Murray who wrote an article for Encyclopedia Britannica that was later retracted as being baseless. And so basically it's all built on sand uh, and lies, but the modern version, you know, they claim to be a legitimate pre-Christian religion, even though that was the origin of it. Um, and so there's many different flavors of it now because there is no Bible of Wicca. You know, it's, it's meant to be something that each person makes up their own kind of book. Um, but yeah, I bumped into it many, many times. And there's, there's, there's so many different versions of it. It's almost, it's almost impossible to, try to keep track of it, you know, and, and even make a list of all the different flavors of it. Well, and then, you know, your book really goes into a lot of stories and experiences that you've had. And one of them I found, you know, many of them are very, very interesting. And one was, you know, the, the first time that you were recognized by a demon, what, what, what was that feeling like when you go into that room and, and the demon speaks to you through that individual? Um, I mean, the first time I met a, you know, a real possessed person in a, in a very serious real case, I really, I don't know. I, I didn't have much of a reaction. I didn't really care. I, I felt and intuitively sensed and also, you know, in terms of my psychology background, you know, it was pretty clear it wasn't just a psychotic state the person was in, um, and it also very much seemed like an alien personality, um, and the person doesn't have multiple personalities. Um, and yeah, I just really wasn't phased by it. I think, and that's not about courage or bravado, but I think God takes away the fear that, that I think would reasonably be in a person um, if he's calling you into this ministry. So really, it was kind of a non-event, and... I've been very matter-of-fact about it all these years. So, honestly, it just doesn't bother me much. Yeah, because I remember, I think, reading the story, it was almost like, hey, who are you, kid? Or welcome to the big time or something like that. It was, uh, you know, almost almost not, not a threatening thing, but almost a snarky kind of response, it sounded like. Some of them are snarky. Often the lower-ranked ones um, can be kind of like a, a mean 10 year old kind of bratty, um, you know, nastier than a 10 year old. Um, so some can be snarky and very sarcastic. Some can be say less and be much more dangerous and much more mature in, in their personality. At least, um, they were all created at the same time, but yeah, they, they have many different presentations and they also do things 
based on what they think is going to, you know, make you fearful or get a rise out of you. So they'll act different ways depending on what's going to push that per- that person's buttons. Uh, another one of the stories was, uh, I think it was a family that took in a, a homeless girl. I think she was 18 or something. And, and just your presence coming in there, and I think it was blessing the home, uh, drove her out. But the family felt that something wasn't right. There was a lot of agitation in the home. How did that kind of play out? Well, uh, yeah, we basically did the house blessing, did the epiphany blessing of the threshold, which is that uh, chalk writing you'll see over the inside of the doorway in, in older Catholic homes sometimes. And basically the person just abruptly said, my friends can't come in the house anymore. I'm leaving. And they grabbed their bag and walked out and they were gone. Well, much, much to the, the happiness of the family, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, how dangerous is it for someone who wants to play exorcist, right? They, they look online, they see the minor exorcism prayer, and they think, you know what, I'm just going to do this on my own because it says, you know, I found it online and, and I can do this. How dangerous is that for an individual? Yeah, so it's quite dangerous. And, and the reason is this isn't a magical incantation where, you know, if you find the secret book and read those words, it's, it's just going to happen because you read those words. It's about authority and it's about God. So you, the prayer is essentially commanding the spirit to leave a person in the name of God. And if God isn't behind what you're doing, nothing's going to happen. And beyond that, you've personally challenged a demon on your own authority. And by challenging it, you've consented to it pushing back figuratively and, and you know, in reality sometimes, um, meaning physically. So, yeah, we've we've seen cases of people that ended up possessed because they did the minor exorcism over somebody that was possessed, thereby gave a demon a direct command, and you know, basically they they ended up the next victim. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a good warning to individuals, right? Don't don't delve into something that you don't know what you're doing because the the ramifications could be significant. Um, if somebody, you know again, is struggling with, you know, they, they think they're being tempted. They think, you know, the, the devil's involved in what they're doing or the evil one's involved in what they're doing. You know, from what I read and what I've heard from other people, you know, just partaking in the sacraments and, and living a faithful life and going to confession can help a lot of what's going on. It's not going to help everything, but just remaining in the sacraments has, you know, those graces are, are very strong. Is that true? Yeah, sure. But, you know, temptation, you mentioned just there, temptation is just part of life. That's not going to go away because you're living in a state of grace. So, you know, don't think, oh, oh, I need an exorcism because I'm being tempted. That's that's not how it works. Temptation is something God allows and we just have to deal with it. And, And dealing with that is not easy, but it's not about exorcism. So, and and I'm sorry. What was the rest of your question? No, just I mean, how living how living a faithful life, uh, partaking in the sacraments, can can really protect right. us against you know beyond the tempting phase, but can protect us by by drawing yeah. ourselves close to Christ and receiving those graces. Yeah. So, you know, remember most of these 
extraordinary cases come from violating the first commandment, and that means turning to a spirit other than God for comfort, information, or power. And and those that's kind of what it boils down to. So if you're not playing around with other spirits than God, you're not usually going to end up in trouble. Now, if you start getting close to being in trouble, confession in the Mass for the Catholic who has access to those sacraments is going to resolve you know, more than 90% of the situations. Um, the idea of the dramatic deliverance prayer is more of a Protestant idea because their theology is a sola scriptura theology, meaning it's just me and the scripture. Uh, the sacraments are basically missing for most Protestants, and so, or most Protestant denominations. And so they wrote a lot of books on deliverance over the last 40 years or so. Um, some of which have been picked up by the Catholics, but the Catholics have access to confession and the Mass, um, and that is what provides most of the deliverance work for the Catholic. So it's kind of a mistake to think I need to find the special person with the anointing or who can say this special, stronger prayer, and that'll get me free. If you're Catholic, you, you really need to start with your own spiritual life and, you know, the part that you're, you're like capable of dealing with yourself, which is getting in a state of grace, going to Mass, being obedient. Um, have, have you found that Protestants, you know, try their approach and end up coming to you or coming to other exorcists because what they're doing isn't working and they need something? They need the Catholic faith to really... Uh, exercise those demons? Yeah, so it's a little bit complicated. So we have to remember before we start saying like, oh, we're the only ones that God likes, you know, Jesus is only yeah. going to help you if, if we ask. That's we got to be careful about that because we're not God, right? We don't tell God what he can and cannot do. So, you know, when Protestants pray in all sincerity from the depths of their heart pleading for somebody to be freed, Jesus doesn't completely ignore them because they're not Catholic. Now, that being said, what we see in, in the practical is that the Protestant approach generally works on the lesser demonic cases, you know, oppression, uh, probably not full possession, and not even all oppression. Sometimes it doesn't. And then when they come across full-blown possession, Generally, the demons will just call them on not having authority over them, and sometimes they'll really mess up the lives of the people that tried to do that. And I don't say that like in a mean way. Um, I've been told this by a number of Protestant ministers because I've spoken in the Protestant world also uh, at a big conference called Q Ideas. And, you know, they told me, the one told me he lost two years of his life because he came across a full possession case and tried to deal with it. Now, I didn't ask what he meant by that, like how he lost two years of his life. I didn't want to pry into his business, but it can be a very serious thing. So uh, basically up to a point, it seems that it works, but when you're dealing with full-blown possession, the demon usually calls you on the fact that you don't have that apostolic authority that Jesus gave the apostles. And, you know, I think you talk about in the book, you know, the four signs of possession. Maybe you could just, you know, quickly kind of go through, just mention what those four are, because I think it's important for people just to realize, you know, these significant signs. Right. So the, the most common one is knowing all languages. So 
like schizophrenia doesn't make you suddenly fluent in ancient Hebrew. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and, and like we've had really obscure stuff. Like I had some Icelandic stuff um, from a spirit that was speaking in the dialect or the grammar of Icelandic from about 600 years ago. And luckily I had a friend in Iceland who could do the translation and verified that the grammar was basically ancient. It would be like us speaking in, in um, kind of speaking in, in Middle English. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we've had some really odd stuff with languages. They know all languages and they will speak in different languages and mental illness doesn't do that in order to bring tumors. Second thing is knowing hidden things. So knowing your secret sins, you know, again, bipolar doesn't make you suddenly know somebody's secret sins and broadcast them to everybody in the room. Third is detecting the holy. So you could have 10 bottles of water, one of which has been blessed secretly out of sight, and the person every single time can pick, up, pick out the one that's blessed from those 10 uh, because to them it feels uncomfortable or hot or burning to them because of the demon's reaction inside them. Mm -hmm. And then the final one is strength beyond their natural condition. And so, you know, that's preternatural strength. You want, that's the weakest of the signs in a sense because in psychiatric settings, and I've spent a lot of years, well, quite a few years, working in the state prison system uh, in psychology uh, as a psychological services specialist is what it's called there. And when you're psychotic, you can have brief periods of great strength. And that's the idea of like, you know, the mother that lifts the car off of her baby or a toddler. There's that, there's that strength for a few seconds that the body can do. The difference here is, you know, two hours later, three hours later, there's been no decrease in the strength. Everybody else is exhausted. Um, so it's a little bit different. And then, you know, there's oddball things that you may never see in your career, like levitation. If you were to see levitation, it's pretty obvious as long as you could debunk it and make sure it's not a trick, you know, right. that would be a pretty obvious one too. So we're, we're down to about the last 30 seconds. So how can people follow what you're doing, Adam? Well, um, just religiousdemonology.com is a website that I have, you know, information for the public. I don't really put much energy. I don't use social media. I don't really keep track of, you know, media and whatnot. I, I, this book is coming out on September 17th, 2022. And that's a book of case studies of exorcism cases designed to teach lessons to the reader. So I would say out of everything, that's probably the most important right now. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.